This podcast is a project of the Medina Focus with the goal of providing space for collaboration and community among practitioners to the Muslim diaspora in North America. As people around the world have immigrated to the West, many Christians have realized that they live and work in the midst of the nations, and they often feel alone and unprepared to communicate cross-culturally. If you are looking for conversation and community surrounding issues of loving Muslim friends in Jesus' name, we welcome you into the conversation. My name is Brian. Welcome to the Medina Focus podcast. We're glad you are joining us again. If you're coming back or you're joining us for the first time, if this is your first time. Have you ever wondered what the future of church life and mission life will look like? It's easy to think in our traditional boxes where we think about sending missionaries overseas And yet, as many of you, because you are interested in diaspora things, are are aware of, uh, many people from many nations, many religions are coming to our cities. Uh, So that's one phenomenon that's happening. On a parallel track, as it were, another phenomenon is happening, and that is uh, in traditionally Christian, and you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes there. I I recognize oftentimes Christianity is simply a civil religion and not necessarily a redemptive religion for many people. Uh, But in traditionally Christian cities and Christian areas, uh, in this current age, many of these areas are now post-Christian. And so you have uh, the, the joining up in kind of this whirlpool setting, it feels like, in a major city. Uh, you have the joining up of pre-Christian peoples with post-Christian peoples. And so what does that look like in a, a mission team environment? What are those challenges? Today's guest is going to be uh, sharing about those. Uh, today I have Nicole joining me on our program. She's a missionary with Global Gates serving in Canada. Global Gates is a church planting organization work, working to reach the ends of the earth through the Canadian gateway cities. She spent the last few years in Toronto working with Arab, Arabic-speaking Muslims with a short stint in the Middle East before moving to Vancouver and starting a master's degree. She's part of a missional microchurch that exists to cultivate healthy disciples that would multiply life in the kingdom everywhere they go. Nicole, welcome to the program. Brian, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Um, so you are you are our first uh, Canadian on the show. So you can you can take that uh, that award home with you. Um, That's great. So you, in your introduction, it says uh, you you are part of a micro church. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, what is a microchurch? Yeah, so our, I guess I say microchurch because we're just a group of five people trying to be church, and if I just say we're a church, people have this already kind of preconceived idea of what that looks like, and that's not a kind of maybe nice worship set and nice um, venue and a pastor, a preacher in the front. We don't really do that. We kind of have more of a flat leadership, and we, um, if, in effect, do uh, kind of a three-third discovery-style church. Okay, awesome. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, up there in Canada. 
Yeah, so Vancouver, British Columbia is home to about 2.8 million people. Um, we would consider about 97% of that population um, of people who are far from God. So 50% of that population do not have any religious affiliation. And if we were to segment that same 2.8 million um, in a different way, about 50% were born elsewhere. So likely coming from a different faith background, um, if they have any at all. So what we're doing to even attempt to make a dent in that 97% is just by being church or another, or the community of believers that are uh, focusing on cultivating healthy disciples who would multiply life with Jesus everywhere. So, yeah, again, there's me and four other guys, and all of us are kind of children of that for people. Oh, well, we have one 1. 1.5 generation um, newcomer to Canada. So why we even want to do this, what motivates us, is because we want to be gospel-shaped, and we want to be um, God-dependent in all of life. We want to have authentic relationships with one another and with people around us, and we long to see kingdom multiplication. Um, so how we're doing this is, like, we have this super nerdy mathematical function uh, that we came up with, where it's like the function of X is knowing Jesus. Um, so helping disciples know Jesus personally is the in essential condition, and then there's the input values of X, which are um, re relating to people in the church, uh, engaging lost people in our networks and in the city, and multiplying ourselves. Uh, maybe intentionally investing in other disciple makers, which then equals to our value of Y, which is kingdom expansion. Uh, we really believe that God will multiply his kingdom um, through us. So, and how we know that we're successful actually starts with an evaluation of ourselves of like, how am I, Nicole, being transformed by knowing Jesus? And how is that transformation being confirmed in community, if at all? Um, how am I regularly relating to others in the church? How am I engaging lost people with the gospel? Um, what are ways um, am I multiplying healthy disciple makers and how is the kingdom expanding? So what's cool about that little function is that these metrics are measured differently based on our skills and our giftings, our life circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, when we start with evaluating ourselves, it gives us a glimpse of what God is doing in us individually, but also as a community. That, uh, that answer makes me wish I had paid more attention during math class. <laughs> yeah, it's easier no, to understand if you can like see a visual. <laughs> no, I like it. I actually can see. That'd be a cool T-shirt. Uh, yeah, kind of like a, a nerdy, a nerdy Christian T-shirt. That's nice. Yeah. So <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a lot of unique things. I think you're you're really going to enjoy this next this next question uh, with between your microchurch mm -hmm. and then uh, just working with Global Gates in such a such a unreached. Uh, or post-Christian area or pre-Christian area, depending on which group we're talking about there in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, but what what mm -hmm. risks are you and your team taking? Yeah, I don't know if this is really a risk, but it's a bit of a risk for me. Um, but I, I'm not exclusively focusing on one people group anymore. So Global Gates emerged out of the vision of God reaching through relational networks into unreached communities that uh, where people could come from. And so their strategy of focusing on making disciples among unreached people groups who occupy a pocket of the city. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, it's a great strategy. It's what I was doing when I was in the greater Toronto area. But when I came to Vancouver, it really felt like God was just like blowing up my vision, like almost trying to focus on reaching 3,000 Iraqi Arabs was too small when 97% of 2.8 million is considered lost. So I guess 
the risk is like, will God really do it? Like, will he really reach Muslims in Vancouver without my passion and without my laser focus? Kind of like, will my commitment to just grow in knowing God and out of that to relate and to engage in awesomeness and to multiply myself really spill over into the Muslim community? Um, so I guess, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... You know, in in taking on these new kind of projects, uh, we often have unintended outcomes where, you know, you think God Mm -hmm. called you to do one thing and then you realize, wow, he's done this other thing while you were trying to do the first thing. So what are some of those unintended Mm -hmm. outcomes that you've seen in your time there? Yeah. um, When I came to Vancouver, I did have a prescribed role. Like I was intending to reach Arabic-speaking Muslims here. Um, That's the lens I was starting out with and just meeting with a lot of believers and trying to find out what they're doing in the city, who's trying to reach unreached people groups. And it was a bit of a weird experience because I was so dissatisfied with what I found out. And of course, a part of that was my own angst in transitioning to a new place. But it came to a point where after like three months, I finally asked God what he was doing in Vancouver. Like it should be the first question you ask when you get to a place, right? <laughs> it took me a little while, and and that was the point which God just laid it open. It was like, finally, Nicole, you are now asking the correct question because I had been asking the wrong question of what are people doing here instead of asking where in Vancouver are lost people coming to faith. And it was like that realization of why should I care what human activities are taking place when I should be focusing on what God is doing. And I do believe that. The Holy Spirit engages everyone, but what I found God calling me to is just to commit to this ragtag bunch of dudes and try to be church and see what happens. Hmm. That's that's interesting. So, you know, you you gave a statistic, it was something like ninety six percent or ninety seven percent of people um are, are far from God. Um mm-hmm. you know, I think that kind of uh, cases, what we're talking about here, but what are what are the challenges of working in a ministry environment like that? Mm. Yeah. I think it, for me, it's actually my perception of ex- expectations that people might have for me, which absolutely isn't a real thing. Like, I've been given so much liberty and grace and support from everyone I work with, all of my partners in my home church, but I project so much because I have some crazy intense like imposter syndrome. Like it's just like this idea that people expect me to reach all these people. And honestly, I haven't accomplished much of anything and it feels really bad (laughs) sometimes, but I had to work with God through a lot of my own issues around shame and feeling unworthy. And, but I think it's like this experience of being embraced by God to just be who I am and not my idea of what super successful missionary is. And it's only out of that can I really operate, quote, effectively, quote. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned that. This has been one of the common themes that has come through the guests on this podcast has been uh, Mm -hmm. things aren't working out or didn't work out, at least in the beginning, like I thought they would or like the expectations were set for me. To the degree mm-hmm. that many people who've come on the show, I've, I've almost had to uh, kind of talk them into it because they feel like, well, mm-hmm. I don't have anything to share because I haven't hit that. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an imaginary line that's that's 
put out there for us. You know, it's not like it's a really objective mm-hmm. thing of what does a successful ministry in a diaspora context mm-hmm. in a very, you know, in your environment, a very post-Christian city look like. Um, mm-hmm. you, there, there's no great objective standard for that. It's just this kind of expectation that people would have. But that's a very common theme. I actually mm-hmm. think that's, that's part of the story that needs to be told is people need to understand as they get into this that there is this kind of feeling of uh, vagueness. Uh, you mentioned the word shame. That's I think that's probably one of the stronger words I've I've heard uh, used to describe this feeling. Tell tell us a little bit about uh, shame. Is that a product? Uh, you mentioned being a, a 1.5 generation immigrant yourself. Uh, is mm-hmm. is this connected to that, or, or is it something else? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm Chinese Canadian. I was born in Canada, and I think I learned how to function in the Western world and kind of live in this culture, but it wasn't until um, I went overseas in which I was actually immersed in an environment that sees community and sees life through a lens of shame um, that God really exposed in myself the ways that I um, implicitly see out of that paradigm. And a lot of that comes out of kind of my upbringing and how I come from an East Asian family. And so likewise, um, a kind of a communal community oriented, um, judgment of behavior is the norm. So, um, kind of having to work through a lot of, of that and this idea of, um, it's called shame proneness, which is a person that, um, sees everything that about their behavior and all that who they are is is just like bad to the core and so it's like nothing that you could ever do will ever be good enough to help you see yourself as someone who's not horrible and so and and of course that's kind of like it emerges out of um yeah growing up in a shaming environment and kind of like evil, evil in the world and so kind of the gospel really speaks into that by, um, for well, in my experience, showing me how like God does not see my um, badness as something that's irredeemable, mm-hmm. um, but that Jesus is the is that solution of, of helping me um, restore uh, dignity of who I am as a created image bearer of of God. So kind of a, a journey of moving through that. Um, and, and it still is, and I think it's kind of a, a large part of the healing comes from being immersed in um, a community of faith that centers around Jesus um, to help you see that we're all terrible, mm-hmm. but we've been redeemed by Christ, and so let's actually um, grow into who um, God wants us to be, which is, um, yeah, people who are redeemed by Christ and His image bearers. Yeah, but that's a hard. Uh, I mean, I guess that's where spiritual growth and maturity come in. But that's a hard uh, growth step to make and to come to peace with, uh, you know, in terms of like expectations and feelings and all of that uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. in Muslim ministry, there's obviously many, many ways to go about uh, doing things, different strategies, different positions on contextualization and and whatnot. Uh, half of the challenges navigating these disagreements. So how do you navigate the disagreements of these various positions? 
Yeah, I used to pair a lot more. Like, I think <laughs> when I was first trained in movement principles, like, I was hardcore. Like, I took it way too seriously. Like, I could not handle the fact that not everyone was doing, like, four fields or DMM cycle or whatever. I was, like, absolutely floored that people don't just, like, do vandalism among strangers or, like, they won't go door to door. Like, you don't share the gospel within 1.8 seconds of meeting someone. Like, what is this? Uh, I've really mellowed out. Like, spending time in the Middle East does that for you when it's, like, illegal to do a lot of what we do here in the West. So, right. But now, since I'm just committed to doing my own thing and functioning in my gifting, it really frees me up to not project my own angst about not doing the right things or not doing the right activities that get to movement and, and projecting all that onto other people. So, like, my teammate is an apostle evangelist type, and he's really mindful of getting people to function in their gifting so as to not burn out, but also because that's how people are the most effective. Um, because, for example, not everyone is wired evangelistically, and it's fine. Um, that's why our equation gives space for variation of kingdom activities based on gifting and your wiring. And it's all contributors of kingdom expansion. So, Yeah. I, I think we probably all start out really, really dogmatic. Uh, I, I was a lot... Right. Uh, gosh... I was I was an interesting person back when I started doing all of this, but yeah, you're right. You you think how can't how come people don't see uh, this this strategy or this theory as the the end all be all kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So similar to that is you know we live in we live in multiple worlds, right? You have your your church circle and uh, your your mission team circle and probably a circle of Muslim mm-hmm. friends and. Uh, how do you navigate your identity between all of these different uh, groups of people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, currently, like, I don't really know. I think I'm just making it up as I go. <laughs> but I used to say, like, really weird stuff and try to work the gospel into my introduction of who I am. So, like, <laughs> I used to quote Second Peter 2.9, say, like, weird thing, like, uh, I'm someone who proclaims the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, super weird, right? But I did this kind of hang out with the Muslim Students Association in Toronto. I was like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it worked out. I mean, I, I was able to share the gospel in a lot of ways uh, because they would be like, why are you saying this weird thing? Like, what does this mean? Um, but currently, I've been thinking about trying to talk about who I am in the context of my community. Like, I'm not simply just an individual, but my identity is wrapped also in my belonging to a community of faith that centers around Jesus. So, and I'm thinking about this because I think in our city, a lot of people do not have a space of belonging or a community that affirms their identity. So, but so far, what I'm, I've so far, when I, if I talk to people who are I usually say I'm a student studying how to read the Bible, and yeah, I'm trying to leave out kind of hierarchical language within the church. Mm-hmm. I used to say things like, oh yeah, I'm like a missionary working with Muslims, things like that, but I think it carries a lot of assumptions, and it actually, I found that it distances people from feeling empowered or that they too can um, grow in making disciples. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you you have returned from the field, and of course those identity issues are present over there. Thankfully, 
you're kind of removed from one of the groups just geographically, which is, you know, kind of home church or home, home friend, Christians, that kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. where you don't have to constantly explain, whereas, you know, living and working amongst kind of your own people uh, or very close to them, mm-hmm. you have to explain that a lot more. But has has the question of identity and how you explain it changed? And also, uh, how do you talk about your time in the Middle East with your Muslim friends? Does that come up? And, and how do you deal mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. When I went, my primary focus was to start learning Arabic and to be immersed in the cultural setting. So I actually say that I didn't intend to, yeah, when I went, my, it was only a secondary intention to um, learn the language of sharing and disciple making. Um, So usually I say, um, I started learning Arabic. <laughs> well, one time I threw in, I started learning Arabic because I want to share stories of the Bible in Arabic. Um, but, that, yeah. Okay. So, uh, with, you know, wearing different hats and being involved in, in life and, and ministry, um, you know, work-life balance becomes difficult. Can you give us a tip for how to have a healthy work-life balance? Yeah, it's kind of hard for me because if I'm not doing ministry-related stuff, I'm still a full-time student. So uh, I found keeping really tight boundaries on my communications and my scheduling. So I dedicate specific days to ministry-related work and then days for school-related work. Um, That kind of worked out for me. But I've dedicated communication platforms for different kinds of ministry correspondence, like texting and calling is for urgent ministry-related or planning-type messages. Uh, WhatsApp is for like, sharing articles or less urgent messages. Email is for documentation and things that might require some thought. I think it's kind of annoying for people, but, I mean, for me, it allows me to feel free to not constantly have to check my email or my phone, but it also helps me really be mindful to respond to the things I need to, because often I would just forget about messages and just ghost people. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, now I have to go back and think through all the various forms of communication you've sent me and see where all of that lines up and on your scale. Is, <laughs> I'm curious, is there an equation for this one as well? I should come up with one, yeah. I should come up with one. <laughs> that, that's actually not really bad. I do something similar uh, just in terms of like prioritizing the the intake of information, which I feel like our generation is just – there's this constant influx of information we're expected to mm-hmm. be aware of and have an opinion about. Um, is, part of it is like I've moved all of my ministry communications onto Slack, and so uh, I would never check a text message during a conversation. But if someone is doing something on Slack, I know that they know me in the ministry context, and so it has a little higher priority in my uh, mm-hmm. in, intake okay. of information. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us a story about your work up there. Yeah, so when I was reflecting on this question, the word intention kept coming up, and I think we didn't know Western church throw that word around, like being intentional about literally everything, like being intentional with mystery and dating and where you live. I'm going to try to be intentional with what I share in this episode, right? And so, like, in attempts to be as impactful as possible, as if it were up to us or something, like, we made the right choices, right. we'll see success. But in a lot of my experience, things really happened when I wasn't being intentional. 
in fact, I was also doing the opposite, just like avoiding things because of my bad attitude. So uh, there was this one time when I was overseas, I was heading home in a Uber kind of later at night, and this was maybe two or three weeks into language learning. So I was just chatting with the driver with super broken Arabic, just saying the only things I knew how to say, like, where are you from? Uh, and this man told me he was Palestinian. And I think maybe because I'm Canadian or Chinese or otherwise non-threatening as a small female, he felt a degree of safety where he asked me why Americans care so much about his nationality. And I didn't really know how to answer him, but I ended up sharing that God created all people. So that means he cares for all people. And since he wants all people to know him, he doesn't have any nationalistic preference. I don't know how I said that in Arabic, but he ended up giving me his phone number and to call if I needed anything. And his three daughters that I could talk to, it's like a golden opportunity, right? And But I never called him. I guess I didn't know how to even explain that. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, so and I wasn't sure how to navigate, like, calling a man. Like, it seemed kind of weird, so, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting how that works. Where a lot of times when we're least expecting it is when something really beneficial or productive uh, comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if God were to answer one prayer request with a yes, what would you ask? Oh wow! Um, I guess it would be that God would see to it that. These men around me, Alex, Gilbert, Lawrence, and Abraham, would grow into all that um, they're supposed to be, so as to multiply life uh, everywhere they go. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing about your life there with us on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. I certainly appreciate Nicole's honesty and transparency, that word she brought out of shame based on expectations that people have and and fearing or not being able to meet those expectations in ministry. This has been such a common theme, not just on this podcast, but as uh, I've talked with many, many, many returning missionaries, whether they're in traditional fields and context or in diaspora context, this is such a common theme that we need to talk more about because we we can't live with these expectations. We need to remember that the, the mission belongs to God, not to us. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed this conversation with Nicole, and I'll be having her on a sister podcast to talk about uh, multi-ethnic missions and multi-ethnic workers in mono-ethnic teams. And so that should be an interesting dialogue. It's not specifically Muslim-focused, so we won't be having it on here. But if you are interested in hearing that, feel free to send us an email at our email address. Until next time, hope to see you then. You've been listening to the Medina Podcast. This show is hosted by Brian A. Bear and produced by Nate Schultz. The conversations we have on this program are born out of an expanding environment of collaboration among grassroots ministry practitioners across the North American continent. If you would like to engage on a deeper level, please email us 
at medinafocus at vision59.com. <laughs>